Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 through 35. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Well, good evening and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online or over in East Hall, thank you so much uh, for being here. And hello to all you kids. Are you guys excited for the movie? All right, that's as exciting as it's ever been in a sermon here in this room, okay? You guys keep that up. Uh, and I want you to know, uh, by the way, if you're here and you're a parent and your kids are with you, so are mine. And if your kids are restless and crazy, so are mine. So just relax, relax, relax. We're here to enjoy God's word together, not to judge each other's parenting. Although, let me know how my wife did afterwards, if you don't mind. <laughs> now, we're continuing our sermon series looking at the life of Moses. In particular, how the life of Moses points us forward to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because, after all, the Bible is one story. One big story about what God is doing in human history, in our world, to bring people into relationship with himself and because of what he is doing centers on the work of Jesus, Jesus is the hero of every single story of the Bible. We've been seeing that in the life of Moses, and we're going to continue to do that here tonight. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out to the book of Exodus, chapter 
34. Fire up your phone, your tablet. If you're online, open that browser and just Google uh, Exodus chapter 34 so you can read along as we spend time there uh, together. And as you are getting to the passage, let me hold out to you an outline that I want to use to guide our time together. Three points, very simple, and they go like this. I, I want to talk about special people, regular people, and God's people. Okay, special people, regular people, and God's people. Let's start with special people. This is an interesting story. Israel has made it to Mount Sinai. That is their first significant stop on the way to the land that God has promised them. And while they're at Sinai, God has called Moses up the mountain to meet with him. And God is giving his law, his commands to Moses. He's telling Moses how he wants Israel to live as they journey towards the promised land and even once they get in it. The most significant passage maybe of that whole interaction, you know pretty well, the Ten Commandments. They're part of the law that God gives to Moses. And God talks to Moses at the top of the mountain and then Moses comes down the mountain and tells Israel what God has said. Now, in our passage, this is actually the second time that Moses has been up the mountain. Because after he came down the first time, Israel was worshiping a golden calf they had made and saying that that was God because they had gotten a little restless and a little patient and they wanted a God they could see. And after God punished them and Moses dealt with them, Moses goes back up the mountain to receive the final commands of God and comes back down. And you'll notice that the story says that when God is talking to Moses, Moses spends a great deal of time with God up in the mountain, and that God is speaking to Moses and Moses to God. There's direct interaction between Moses and God. That's a pretty significant thing. And then when Moses comes down the mountain to tell Israel what God has said, he doesn't realize it, but they quickly do. His face is shining. It's glowing. There's something supernatural that has happened to the skin and face of Moses because he has been in the presence of God. This glow indicates that he did actually talk with God. In fact, the writer tells us that this happens will happen from then on out every time Moses talks to God. He will go talk to God and come out and tell Israel what God said and his face will glow. Eventually he wears a veil so that he doesn't freak anyone out when he goes to the grocery store or what have you. He doesn't want to scare people. So when he's talking to God, he takes the veil off. And when he's telling Israel what God has said, he keeps the veil off. But the rest of the time, he wears it over his face. The veil is the symbol that tells people Moses really has been talking to God. Because without it, Moses might come down the mountain and say, hey, everyone, I've been talking to God. And they would say, oh, yeah, sure. Me too. Me too, Moses. All the time. You wouldn't believe it. The glow represents that it's real. It's a sign. It's a symbol that Moses is God's special person. It's a little bit like a wedding ring. You wear a wedding ring to tell everyone you are someone's special person. I don't know if you noticed, but for the last two months, I haven't been wearing a wedding ring. That's because mine is in a rental car in California. I don't want, no, listen, I, I don't want that to bother you. That's like my third wedding ring, okay? Hang in there. Uh, I'll get another one. I'll get another one. It's just what I do. It's like a funny ritual uh, in my marriage. 
Funny to me, not so funny to Amy. But Moses' glow is like his wedding ring. It is his symbol that he's really talked to God because you see, Moses is special. He has access to God that no one else has. He knows things about God that no one else does. He has a level of understanding of who God is and what God's up to that no one else has. Moses is God's special person. If you want to know who God is and what he's doing and what he has to say, you have to go to Moses because Moses is special. By the way, this is not all too unique in the world of religion. Almost every major religion has as its center someone who is a special person, someone who has a special sense of who God is, of what God's up to, of how to understand God, someone that you have to listen to or go to if you want to know what God is up to. At the center of Islam is the prophet Muhammad. He is God's special person who shares with God's people what God has to say. At the center of Buddhism is the Buddha, who doesn't speak for God, but is just so enlightened as to speak to the spiritual world. Judaism has Abraham and Moses and Joshua and various special people that God chooses from time to time. At the center of so many religions is this special person. And by the way, I think that resonates with us more than we might think. Because even if we aren't Mormon, believing that Joseph Smith is God's special person, or Muslim, because we believe Muhammad was, or fill in the blank, even if we don't subscribe necessarily to a religion in which we are looking for someone else to tell us about God, more often than not, we do find ourselves gravitating towards people with a special understanding that we don't have. Now, I've grown up in the church my entire life. My father is a pastor. My grandfather on my mother's side was a pastor. I have been in church on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, Saturday nights. If it's open, I have been there. And I've known for a long time that I shouldn't necessarily listen to Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the Buddha, but I have also known that throughout my time in the church, people have gravitated towards this author or that one, this writer or that one, this podcaster or that one, this radio preacher or this television personality, this person who understands God in a way none of us can. I can remember as a child that we would show up to the church on special nights because a traveling speaker had come into town and people would say, you just can't miss his messages. He understands God so well. He, he can give us the insight that we are craving about God. That's who Moses is. He knows more about God than you do. He's been to the top of the mountain. You haven't. His face glows. Mine doesn't. He can tell us about God. He is special. And so many of us are hardwired to believe that that is what we need. A special person. A writer. A priest. 
a pope, a someone who can tell us who God is, what God wants, and what God thinks about us. But Moses is not the only one in this story. I want you to notice there are, second point, regular people. So Moses has been up on the mountain with God. Israel, the rest of the nation, has been at the bottom of the mountain waiting to see what God will tell Moses. And the one thing they know for sure that they're, that they're not going to be doing is making a golden calf. They've done that. It didn't go well. So this time they're just standing around the mountain waiting for Moses. And when he comes down and his face is glowing, I want you to notice two things. They are both curious and terrified. You can see it here in the story. Look with me at Exodus 34. In verse 29, Moses comes down. In verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. They were looking for Moses. In verse 32, all the people of Israel came near to listen to what Moses had to say about God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at the bottom of the mountain and wondering what is it that God is going to say? I mean, after all, in all this time, Israel has seen God do some incredible things. I mean, they've seen him do plagues. They've seen him split the Red Sea, bring Pharaoh to his knees, drop bread from heaven, get water from a rock. They have seen so many miraculous things, and the anticipation is high. They are wondering, what does God have planned next? They are not, that un they are not so different from you and I, wondering who God is, wondering what he's up to, wondering what he's about laying in bed at night while Moses is up the mountain, wondering what the message will be, wondering if God has a place for them in what he is doing. But when Moses comes down the mountain and is glowing, they're not just curious, they're terrified. Look at what it says in verse 29. Moses did not know uh, that the, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Now why? Why were they afraid? They had been waiting for this. They'd been waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. They had been waiting for him to say something. They had been waiting for the message of God. And yet when Moses comes down and he's glowing, they are terrified. Why? Well, I think the answer is knowing what happened last time he came down the mountain. You see, Israel has this relationship with God in which it is both curious and terrified because they've seen God do great things and they have seen God do terrifying things. The plagues are great if you're a slave and you're looking for someone who can rescue you from slavery, but they're terrible if you're the Egyptians and your nation is falling apart. The Passover is great if you're Israel and this is the final moment of your freedom, but it's awful if you're Egypt and you've ignored God and you are being punished. 
The Red Sea is amazing if your back is against the wall and Pharaoh's armies are coming towards you, but it's terrifying if you're in a chariot trying to cross. And Moses coming down with a message from God is amazing and yet terrifying if you're a sinner who has been doing things that God did not want you to do. You see, Israel understands that part of the reason Moses has to go up the mountain and not them Part of the reason Moses has to stand between God and them is because God sees through Moses and sees who they are. He knows their shortcomings. He knows their weaknesses. He hears their grumbling. He sees their activity. He knows when they're religiously wrong and he knows when they're religiously right. You see, in them is this sense of wanting to know God and yet this terrifying question of if I come to know God, how do I know what I come to find out will be good news for me? I see this in people all the time in my work. People who are curious about God and yet scared what they might find if they really were to try to get to know him. Curious about what God might do in their lives, but terrified at what he might do as well. It's why so many people, Monday through Saturday, live their lives entirely their own way, wholly detached from asking God what he wants or what he's up to, because their fear is if they were to find out, he would want what they don't want. He wouldn't want what they want. His message for them wouldn't be good. And so they show up curious on Sundays to see if the special guy with the microphone has anything good to say. But they're terrified of God for the most part during the week, at least too terrified to give him the keys, too terrified to get to know him too well. That's where Israel is, eager to know and yet scared to know. They're like that person in the scary movie that hears the sound in the barn and for some inexplicable reason slowly walks to the barn while you scream at the television, what are you doing? Don't go in the barn. It's that curious and terrified sense that Israel is living with, knowing that they are not the special people to whom God speaks, but curious what that special guy has to say. I wonder if you can resonate with the way they feel when you read this story. If you know what it is first to believe that God does have special people to whom he speaks, People who seem to understand him, people who seem to know who he is and know what he's about, who seem to enjoy some kind of special, significant relationship with him, but feeling like that's not you. Being curious what they can teach you, what they can share with you, maybe even came with one of them tonight. Wondering in some kind of mix of curiosity and fear whether you could know God this way. That is Israel. Moses at the top of the mountain, them at the bottom. His face is shining because he's been with God. But they're like people who look at the moon at night. You know, the moon has no light unto itself. It's just a big ball in the sky. But the moon sees the sun when we can't and reflects its light. Moses has been with God and he reflects the glory of God to Israel. And they're curious who God might be. 
But they, like us, I think, live most of their lives at the bottom of the mountain feeling distant from God. And that brings me to the third point, which is to say to you that the special and regular people dichotomy is not the story of Christianity. Instead, there's a third way, a third category. Let's call them God's people. Christianity is different from every other religion because it does not have at its center a special person who enjoys a unique relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion that takes place at the bottom of the mountain waiting for that special prophet, that special anointed person on the radio or television, in a book somewhere, waiting for that person to tell us who God is. Instead, Christianity is about God himself coming down the mountain to us. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews, we read this earlier, says it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, by those special people, the people who went up the mountain, the people who knew God in a way we didn't. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, the writer of Hebrews says, that we are not people standing at the bottom of the mountain waiting for that special someone who actually gets to talk to God and who actually gets to know God to tell us what God is like. Instead, we are people that God has loved so much that he came to us himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You notice that the writer says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of the glory of God. What he means is that Jesus is not like Moses. He's not the moon, having no light unto himself, waiting to catch a glimpse of God that he can share. Jesus is the sun. He's the light. He is God. He knows everything about God because he speaks of himself. You see, Christianity is the idea that God did not want a mountain to be between him and us. And he did not want a relationship with one special person who then would speak to us. God loves us so much that he wanted each one of us to belong to his special people. And he came and he spoke. And what is it he said in Jesus? You'll notice the writer says that Jesus' work was making purification for sins. You see, the reason why Israel had to tremble at the bottom of the mountain was because there was a mountain between them and God. Not just topographically, geographically, but spiritually. It was the mountain of their sin, their guilt before God. They knew what happened if they got too close because they were sinners. They were guilty. They, they had already disobeyed God numerous times. Jesus, you see, came down the mountain not just to tell us about God, but to live in our place 
and to die in our place and to raise from the dead, having paid the penalty for our sins, having exhausted the anger of God over our sins in order that when he rose from the dead, he might ascend into heaven, sit at the right hand of God and be the one who decides who gets to go to God and who doesn't. And he isn't choosing on the basis of special status, but simply everyone who believes in who he is and what he's done. You see, this means if you came in this evening and you felt as though you did not have a relationship with God, you felt as though you did not have a special connection to God, that you were not known individually, you were not loved individually, that you could not go to God. If you came here tonight thinking that somehow you needed me or anyone else to get to God, you were wrong. God has already come to you In Jesus, his message is that he desires to forgive you, to welcome you, to accept you, to know you, to speak to you. Tonight, God desires for you to be like Moses, not like Israel at the bottom of the mountain. And if you're here and you're already a Christian, then God's desire is not simply for that to be a one-time thing. Where sometime long ago you heard a preacher say that and you thought, oh wow, I can have a relationship with God. And you became a believer only to go back down the bottom of the mountain and wait for heaven. God's desire is that you would know him so intimately and so clearly that you would begin to glow like Moses. Not physically, Not supernaturally, but in your life. The Apostle Paul will pick this up, by the way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he references this story. Because after all, the Bible is one story. And this is what Paul says. Speaking of Moses and the veil and how that connects to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. Here's what he says. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says that God wants you to know him so intimately, so personally, so transformatively, that you are being changed second by second, minute by minute, based on your intimate, personal relationship with God. Listen, this is what I'm telling you. In the Old Testament, it made sense to stand at the bottom of the mountain and to give up personal, intimate knowledge of God to someone else, some special person who had been given special access that you didn't have. But friends, we, because of Jesus can be with God, can hear from God, can speak to God all the time. If you feel distant from God this evening, it is not because God desires to be distant from you. It is not because you are not special. It is not because intimate relationship with God is something reserved for a chosen few. It is simply because You are not trusting that he welcomes you, but he does.
But he does. Jesus has come so that we might know God personally. Let me pray for us. Father God, what an amazing thing it is to even do what we're doing right now. To be able to speak to you, to be able to open your word, to be able to trust that your Holy Spirit living in your people can help us to see and understand who you are and what you're doing. I know there are people here this evening who feel distant from you. People here who are convinced that you do not want relationship with them, that you are not open to knowing them, to allowing them to know you. People who feel more comfortable at the bottom of the mountain. But God, I know that is not what you want for us. And so my prayer is that we will begin to believe you and trust you when you welcome us into your presence to know you personally because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen.